you have your Bibles, take them, turn them to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start in chapter 3, and then we're actually going to break our way into chapter 4 today, so that's big news. Excited about that. And as you're turning there, I want you to think about your very first job. If you're a kid, by the way, you can be dismissed. You can go back out with uh, Nicole there, Miss Nicole. That was a close call. I almost lost my most recent job there. But we're talking about my first job. Think about the very first job you ever had. Mine was at the airport, really close by. I loaded bags on planes at Allegiant Airlines. It was a tough job. There were unpredictable hours. You know, so when your plane gets delayed and you're annoyed... Just know all the other workers are annoyed too. Okay, It's not just you that's annoyed with the delays, but I was annoyed too with Allegiant. Sorry, never mind, I want to keep moving on. Um, unpredictable hours. There were hot summers, angry customers, physical labor. The plane stuff was pretty cool, I will admit, but due to all the difficulties, I remember hating that job. Hate it. I hated, remember this was my first one, first time ever having a job, I hated not being able to hang out with my friends. I hated waking up early. I hated the monotonous nature of doing the same thing day after day after day. I hated waiting around. All the delays. Due to all this, I probably wasn't the best employee. I could be lazy. I could do shoddy work. I could have a bad attitude. But here's the surprising thing about all that. All that's true, but I definitely loved Jesus at that time. I was wanting to leave that job at the airport so bad because I wanted so badly to get a job at a church. Young Matt needed to hear the message today from old Matt because young Matt thought that work had nothing to do with his faith. He thought the important stuff was spiritual and loading bags onto airplanes had nothing to do with Jesus. Did young Matt not know Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, which says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him? He did, but... I don't think I realize the implications that Jesus' lordship has over every single aspect of our lives, including our lives at work. And that's what we're going to talk about today, working in Christ. We're going to start in verse 22 and go all the way through chapter 4, verse 1. This is the word of God. Bond servants. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer 
will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of God. Let's go to God and ask for his blessing. Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we believe this is your inspired word, that you breathe this word It is relevant to our lives. It has the authority in this room. God, I pray that you can use this word, which is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, to cut our hearts and change who we are. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds to look more like Jesus. God, we want to do everything in your name, Jesus, including the way we work. So God, as we come into this time of examining your word, God, I pray that we as a people can receive it humbly, that we can receive it submissively. God, that we can take it for what it is and believe it and apply it to our lives. God, I pray that there can be breakthroughs in this room when it comes to um, compartmentalization. God, that so often we can, we can keep things from you, that we can, we can keep certain parts of our lives, specifically our work lives, as completely irrelevant to who you are, Jesus, but that's just not true. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you can work through the the power of your word, and that you can transform us. For your glory, God, I pray you're glorified through what happens here this morning. As we study your word, speak to us now. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So the context here is he's continuing the household hold code. Household code, there it is. He's continuing that code. So last week we talked about the family and I mentioned it's very easy to interpret this passage because he, he clarifies who he's talking to very obviously, where he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents and everything. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Bond servants, you see that? And he goes on. And then verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, masters, treat your servants justly. So th- th- this passage talking about bond servants and masters is within the context of the household, which shows us, first off, how dissimilar the Colossian households were from ours today, because this isn't really a situation that we're in where we either are a bondservant in somebody's home or have a bondservant in our home. That's not really how it goes. You know, the quote is, the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. So in the household of the Colossians, there would be a husband, a wife, children, and bond servants, or another word for it is slave. Uh, this would constitute the household. Now the slave in this situation would have little rights, would more often than not be abused, mistreated, not able to keep their own children, bad stuff for sure. Some make the point that slavery in this context was not as bad as the slavery that was in our context in this country, um, and that's probably true, but still it's not a great situation. Uh, you know, Sometimes we might overcorrect there and act like being a bond servant in this culture was great. And that's not necessarily true. It's still not a great place to be. Um, so this can be troubling for some because it seems as if Paul is supporting slavery. But I don't think that's necessarily true in this passage and in the other ones. Paul never endorses slavery, but he teaches Christians how to live within it. And actually here in this passage, we'll see this later in the sermon uh, we see 
Paul undermined slavery in such a way that, in my opinion, led to the abolition of slavery. We'll talk about more of that later. But as we see, um, Paul's given these commands about how to work, how to operate um, in context of authority um, and submission um, in a more in more of a context that would be similar to our work culture today. So I believe this passage is God's word to us and how we work. And there are some dissimilarities, of course, and we'll point them out, but there's also a lot of um, similar things here. I mean, it teaches us how we should act at work and how we should act at school. It teaches us how we should behave as employees and employers. So I think we have a lot to learn here. God's Word is extremely, extremely relevant to our lives, and I'm really excited about studying this passage. So I have six points. Uh, since we should work sincerely, not as fakers, heartily, not as lazy bums, Christocentrically, not for men, hopefully, not just for the paycheck, righteously, not as wrongdoers, and justly, not as oppressors. Six points. Very memorable stuff right there. You're going to take that. You know, you can talk about it over your Father's Day lunch. Here we go. Number one, sincerely, not as fakers. Look at verse 22, which says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. The first thing we see in our passage is that bond servants were called to obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Just as last week wives were called to submit to their husbands, just as children were called to obey their parents, bond servants are called to obey their masters. Christians, as we talked about last week, in every situation, obey those who have authority over them. So the bond servants are commanded to obey in everything. They are not called to pick and choose their obedience. They aren't supposed to obey in accordance with their mood or whether or not they find it appropriate, but they are supposed to obey in all things. So the application for us here is that we should listen and submit to those who have authority over us. How should we do that? Paul wants us to obey those in authority, but... How we obey is just as important that we obey. Paul is not content with us just checking off a box of obedience. If you just go to work and think it doesn't matter about your attitude, your intentions, your thoughts, you think as long as I'm working, as long as I'm present, if you do that, you're not obeying God's will in this passage. Because look at this, there's two ways to obey here. In verse 22, the first way to obey is you can work by way of eye service as people pleasers. Okay, that's the first way to work, by way of eye service as people pleasers. This would be to only work when being watched. And we've all been there, right? I mean, you are in your office, you're looking at your phone and the boss walks by and all of a sudden you drop your phone to the floor, you're typing away. We've all had the equivalent of that, right? 
Sometimes that happens at the house when Chelsea walks into a room. You know, I'm supposed to be working on nursery, and she walks in like, oh, the phone's flying. I don't, I'm, I'm working hard here. That's, by, that's working by way of eye service. Uh, where when, when you work this way, you want to be seen as a good worker, but you don't actually want to be a good worker. You want to appear diff- differently than who you truly are. You see that? If you want to work by way of eye service as a people pleaser, you want to be seen as a hard worker without actually working hard. You want to be seen as something different than what you truly are. What does this reveal? That you're a hypocrite. That's by definition hypocrisy, right? You don't really care about the job. You don't really care about others. All you care about is looking good. All you want to do is please people with your work so that you can get the glory and benefits from it. But the second way to work here, look at the contrast here. Not Paul's telling us not to work that way, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So instead of being a hypocrite in your work, you can work with a sincere heart. Sincerity means to be who you really are, to be transparent, to be genuine. So hypocrisy is wanting to be seen for something you're not. And sincerity is wanting to be seen for who you truly are. And God is calling us in this passage, in our work lives, when we work, to work with a sincerity of heart. God is calling you to be a man, to be a woman of integrity. Where you don't need someone over your shoulder. That you are the same person whether you are working alone or you're being watched by your boss. What would lead you to working that way truly? What the passage says here is with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. I think a fear of the Lord would lead you to working with sincerity of heart. To fear the Lord means to be in reverent awe of His holy majesty. It's to be captivated with who God is. It means that you want to please God and you're aware of His holy presence in every moment of your life. Fear the Lord. Fearing the Lord is to, as verse 17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we said that doing everything in the name of the Lord means to do everything in the sovereign presence of the Lord Jesus. Jesus, in every single moment of your life to realize that you are in the presence of the Lord and He is sovereign and He is here and that should change the way you do everything. But if you work in, in the fear of the Lord, you realize that when you do your job, you are in the presence of Jesus and therefore you are going to obey not as a people pleaser, um, you know, not as a way of eye service, but instead you are going to work in sincerity of heart. If you fear the Lord in your work, you are always going to work hard because you know Jesus is present in your workplace. If you fear the Lord in your work, you are not going to be a hypocrite because you know as Proverbs 5.22 says, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his path. If you're working for Jesus, you know your Lord is always in the room. Think about how it would change the way you work if you knew that the Lord Jesus Christ was always your co-worker. Was always 
watching what you were doing was always there present in your work. This means that you should work hard like your boss is over your shoulder. You should never struggle with being lazy while being um, you know, unwatched um, because you understand that you are always being watched. But this also shows us that we should work with integrity and honesty and righteousness because we are in the presence of Jesus. That, that should change the way we work. So it should be the, the effort we put into it, but also the character we put into it because we are doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. We are working with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. But also, if you're working in the fear of the Lord, it reveals that the aim of your work is not to be a people pleaser, but it's to please the Lord. Like, in your work, every day, you have the option, am I going to work, am I going to live for the approval of man or for the approval of God? Am I going to do it out of the fear of man or the fear of God? And working out of the fear of the Lord will absolutely transform and shape the way you work. Do you realize, have you ever thought that your work should be aimed at pleasing Jesus? That's what this passage is calling us to. He's talking to bond servants here. And he's saying, hey, in every single little thing you do, it should be dominated with the fear of the Lord. And out of sincerity of heart, you should obey. Okay, so how... It, so let's say you do, um, you do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. You are, you are serving in the fear of the Lord with sincerity of heart. How should this change the way you work? Look at verse 23. It says, whatever you do, work heartily, ask for the Lord and not for men. This verse is very similar to verse 17. You know, verse 17 says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 23 says, whatever you do, work heartily, ask for the Lord and not for men. To work heartily literally means to work from your soul. To put everything you've got into your work. Did you realize that the Bible said that? Whatever you do, work heartily. Paul is not talking about something super spiritual here. He's not talking about working heartily at your quiet time. He's not talking about working heartily at work, uh, writing worship songs in a log cabin out in the wilderness. He's not talking about working heartily in some, some sort of very, what we would think, Christian thing. But Paul is talking about a slave obeying his master. And Paul is calling that bondservant to obey with all he's got. To work heartily. And let me correct myself because Paul is talking about something spiritual here. Since we are called to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, that means there is nothing unspiritual or non-Christian about our jobs. You see that? Paul is saying to whatever you do, that's what it says, whatever you do, work heartily. I don't care if you work at Denso, or you mow yards, or you're a salesperson at Verizon, or you work in taxes at Clayton, or you're a cashier at the Dollar General, or you're a stay-at-home mom. The Lordship of Christ has something to say about how you work. And Jesus is calling you to work heartily, to work from your soul. So the question is this morning, are you lazy? And did you know that the Bible condemns laziness? 2 Thessalonians 3, 10-12 says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, 
If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Christian, whatever you're doing right now, you are called to do it with all of your heart. You are called to work heartily, work from the soul. So one way we can grow as Christians is in our work ethic. I know this seems irrelevant, but it's not. Protestants used to have this reputation for the Protestant work ethic. that This, this idea that every single thing mattered to the Lord just gave this reputation that we were going to be the hardest workers out there because all of our work has this meaning to it. And so, Christian, we are called to work heartily. Not only that, but... Um, well, here's how I'll go about it. How can we grow in our work ethic? So if, if you're hearing this, and you might struggle with laziness like I can, okay, we can all do this to some degree, uh, and you might think, okay, I want to work hard, I want to work heartily, I want to obey this command, how do I do it? Because it's not really going to work. Like, you could, in your own will, put together a really good Monday morning. Okay, you can really work hard for Monday morning, and then by after lunch, once that lull kicks in, you're wanting coffee in the afternoon, like the whole, you're going to forget this sermon, you're going to move on. So how can we get lasting change when it comes to our work ethic? My next point here is that we need to work Christocentrically, not man-centered. We see this in verse 22 where he says, fearing the Lord. We see it in verse 23 where he says, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And we see it in verse 24 as well where he says, you are serving the Lord Christ. I want you to think about the worldly motivation for work. Why the world might work so hard. And it is so obviously the self. So in theory, the best case scenario is to make the most possible money with the least possible work. From a worldly perspective, right? If it's not going to personally pay off for you, why would you work hard? Why go the extra mile if you're not going to get the extra cash? But also, if, from a worldly perspective, you should be cutthroat to get ahead. You should cut corners. You should bend the rules. You should do whatever it takes to move yourself forward. But for the Christian, the motivation for work is to work as for the Lord and not for men. I don't know who your boss is. He might be an absolute jerk. He might not appreciate you. He definitely doesn't pay you enough. Hey, I think you should get a raise personally. But, listen, you truly don't work ultimately for that boss. But you work for the Lord. That's what he's telling these bondservants here. He's saying, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So whatever you're doing, whether you are you know, cleaning toilets or whether you are a CEO at some company or anything in between, whatever you're doing, work heartily and for the Lord and not for men. If you're working for Jesus, here's an incredible thing. All work has meaning. You see that? If you are called to do everything for Jesus, that means the, the smallest task is just bursting with significance. 
that this isn't just some thoughtless thing. Because, you know, if you're, if you're working some menial job and you feel like it's a dead-end job, there's no hope in it, and you do something good and nobody notices, you think that was just an absolute waste. But not if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ and everything you do is for Jesus, that means everything is packed full of significance and meaning. It's worship. So you might have a dead-end job. You might hate your job. It might be a pain. But if you're working for the Lord, that job is your opportunity to worship Him. Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So if you're working for Jesus, and whatever you're doing... You don't need to worry about whether you're being seen, whether you're being valued, whether you're being appreciated by men, because you can know that Jesus sees your work. And that should be the reward. That should be your goal. That should be your aim. That you should, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. There's more involved than just money. That's why in verse 24 we point out, we need to work hopefully and not just for a paycheck. Verse 24 says, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. So the knowing is connected to the work. You see that? So it says, Whatever you do, work heartily, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. For the world, from a worldly perspective, in our work, all that we get as a reward is a paycheck. And a paycheck is fine and good, but from a worldly perspective, that's all there is. But the Christian should know, should work knowing that we get more than just a paycheck. Because it says, work heartily, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. We work as Christians in Christ Knowing that Jesus is going to give us a reward beyond all imagination. This inheritance has been mentioned several times in Colossians chapter 1. In verse 5 it says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. In verse 12 it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This is the reward, this is the inheritance, the inheritance is an eternal portion of the promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. And he's saying, hey, work. Every single thing you do, work hard, knowing that you are getting an inheritance from the Lord. Notice here in the text that we don't work to earn this inheritance. It doesn't say work hard hoping that you'll get this inheritance, or work hard so that you might get this inheritance, but work hard knowing that you're going to receive this inheritance. Um, you don't work to earn the inheritance. That's not how inheritance, inheritances work. You receive an inheritance based on who your father is. And we are adopted by God, by grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ. And once you have received the grace of salvation found in Jesus Christ, then you can work for Jesus Christ knowing what's coming in your future. And if you know what's coming in your future, you don't have to get all the accolades right now. 
You don't have to get all the attention. You don't have to have a sweet, comfortable life with all the, you know, all the benefits of that. You can work hard. You can obey in everything. You can, you can sweat and you can put forth the effort knowing that you're going to receive an inheritance one day that's beyond anything this world can offer. So we work knowing that we will receive the inheritance. We can work hopefully knowing that nothing we do in the name of the Lord will be in vain. As I said earlier, if we work for Jesus, that means every single little thing matters. Everything is loaded with significance. But not only that, our work is loaded with hope. Knowing that what you do isn't pointless. If it's for Jesus, it's not pointless. I know work can seem pointless. It can seem futile. It can seem empty. It can seem like it leads nowhere. But in Christ... There's a future to our work. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So we can work hard knowing that we have an inheritance in the future, knowing that Jesus has already purchased it for us. So we are not working to earn it, but we are working because we've already been giving it, given it. The beautiful thing here in this passage in verse 24 is that slaves would not have an inheritance. They would get nothing and they would leave nothing. They didn't have this earthly hope. You see that? They had no future hope physically. So think about how amazing it would be to hear this verse if you were a bondservant in the Colossian church, to hear we might not have a future hope physically, but we have a better hope in the inheritance provided by Jesus Christ. It's the same in this room. You might not have an earthly inheritance in this life. You may never have a big bank account. You may never have that hope of future physical provision. Oh, but in Christ, you have an inheritance beyond your imagination. You have a hope laid up for you so that you can be like Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty six, who considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Ironically, looking to the reward of your heavenly inheritance doesn't lead you to blowing off your earthly work. That's what we think, right? If we just think, you know, the, the phrase, oh, we're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, if you know that you have this inheritance in the future, if you know that Christ has earned you this future hope and glory in the new heavens and new earth, that will lead you to working heartily here on earth. That will lead you to being a hard worker. That will lead you to doing everything, whatever you do, for the Lord Jesus Christ and in the name Jesus Christ. So, you have a future hope in Jesus Christ. Therefore, it says here at the end of verse 24, you are serving the Lord Christ. This gives all of our work significance, meaning. It gives our work hope. It gives our work purpose. So we should work hard. As we continue in verse 25, we should work righteously, not as wrongdoers. Verse 25 says, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. 
we've covered this a bit, but I want to emphasize it again, that Jesus cares about your work. I say that without exception. There is no meaningless job here. Jesus cares about what you do. So, if you are constantly slacking off, if you're at school and you're cheating on tests, if you're constantly cutting corners, if you're constantly causing problems for your employer, the Word of God tells us, Right here in verse 25, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no getting away with it. You will be paid back. This is an eternal principle based upon the holiness and justice of God that all wrong, all sin, all injustice, all evil will be punished. Listen, the Bible teaches us that no one gets away with anything. I hope you understand that and apply it to your work. That you might deceive your boss. You, you can't get away with it there. You, you might deceive your co-workers. You might deceive your employees. But you will never deceive an all-knowing, holy God. The Bible promises the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. This should radically change the way we work. Because we think, you know, if we can get away with it, it's going to be fine. But the Bible teaches that you're not getting away with it. This is primarily in the context towards the bondservants. But it also has an eye towards the masters. And we see this here in this last phrase, there is no partiality. So remember, he's very clear about who he's talking to. So we have to take this whole section as two bondservants, because in verse 22 he says bondservants, and then in, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says masters. So you've got to take that whole thing as, as to bondservants. But I think here in verse 25 we see a hinge where he's talking to the bondservants, but he's got his eye kind of, he, he's already turning his head. You see what I'm saying? He's turning his head toward the masters. This is really to both groups where he says there is no partiality. Partiality means to show favoritism. So you might go easier on someone because you like them, and then you might be harsh on someone because you don't like them. Paul is really clear here that God is not going to show partiality. What he means here is Paul is not going to go easy on slaves for disobedience since they are lowly in society. They're not going to have that excuse. Sin is sin, and there is no excuse and way out of God's justice. God's not going to show partiality to the lowly in society. But also, He is not going to treat the masters better because they are in a more honored position. You see, there's no partiality either way. You're not going to be able to claim, well, I'm, I'm, I'm so lowly in society, I was, you know, I was... I, I didn't have the means. I had to do this to take none of that. And also it's like, oh, well, I'm so perfect. I can do these things because I'm so high and I've got so much money. No, either way, the standard of God's law is inflexible and rigid. Here's the principle. The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. Now, the beauty of the gospel is found right here. The beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is found in the realization that the gospel doesn't cancel this biblical principle. We are all wrongdoers. 
We all deserve to be paid back for the wrong that we've done. But on the cross, Jesus Christ, the only man who had ever not been a wrongdoer, was paid back for the wrong that we had done. That's the beauty of the gospel. Not that God canceled this principle, but that he applied it to Jesus Christ in our place. You have done wrong. You deserve to be paid back. But Jesus was paid back in your place so you wouldn't have to take the punishment that you deserved. That's the beauty of the gospel. So if you're in Christ, this verse is still true for you, but you can rejoice in the fact that the punishment that you have deserved was placed on the Son of God in your place. The wrong you've done, all the sin, all the wrath that you deserved has been placed upon the Son. If you have not placed your faith in Christ... Let this be a warning for you that the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. I pray that right now the Holy Spirit will reveal to you your wrongdoing. And listen, not just the terrible sins that we think of, okay? Not just murder, not just adultery, not anything like that, but including those, but also including the sin of being a lazy worker. That's a sin according to this passage. And I pray the Holy Spirit will convict you of it and that you can realize that God is going to judge you for your sin and the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. But right now, in this very moment, he is extending grace to you by calling you to repentance. Repent of your sins. Turn from your sins and turn to Christ and put your faith in him and you will live. Finally, Chapter 4, verse 1. We are supposed to work justly, not as oppressors. It says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This group gets one command, but this command is incredibly important, and in my opinion, truly puts the whole institution of slavery at risk. The command is to treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Justice, we need to define justice as conduct that meets the standard of the word of God. And fairness as equally in the right way. And along with justice, those words mean very similar things. Um, but again, fairness in the way that God has described it in his word. So... The, the masters are told to treat their slaves justly and fairly. This means that the masters had no right to be oppressive or violent or cruel. But they're also called not to show partiality to the people under them. They're not allowed to play favorites or anything like that. Just as God doesn't show partiality, they were called not to show partiality. They were supposed to, they were supposed to treat people with fairness. And the reason why they were supposed to act this way in justice and fairness is because, look at this, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Just as we work heartily, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, masters are supposed to treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Paul reminds the masters here that their authority is derived and not inherent. Just like we talked about last week, a husband doesn't have um, inherent authority 
but it's derived. It's given to him from God. God alone possesses true authority and he gives it to the husbands in the same way. Paul is reminding the master that they have an authority over them who is watching how they use their authority. And if they decide to treat people in an unjust and unfair way, back to verse 25, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. So we see here that the master isn't the ultimate authority in this situation, but Paul reminds them that they have a heavenly master above them that dictates the way they should treat people. Do you see how this puts the slave and the earthly master on equal ground before the true heavenly master? Just like we saw in chapter 3, verse 11, where it says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, listen to this, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. While on earth there are distinctions, there are differences, but in Christ we find ourselves on equal ground with everyone else in Christ. He's saying, Paul said in chapter 3, verse 11, here in the new self, in the, in the church, in Christ, we don't have these distinctions, but instead, Christ is all and in all. Christ means everything to everyone, and Christ is indwelling every single believer. Paul's saying here, chapter 4, verse 1, you're both in Christ. You both have the same master. And you should let that reality shape the way you treat those under your authority. And that completely transforms the situation. One commentator said, Slaves and masters ultimately serve the same Lord. And that fundamental spiritual reality not only relativizes their earthly relationship, but even sets the stage for its abolishment. In this passage, we see several ways that Paul undermines slavery. Number one, he points out their equality in Christ. Notice in verse 22, he refers to them as earthly masters, proving that there is a heavenly master. He insists that slaves had an equal share in the heavenly inheritance. He's claiming that there is no partiality shown by God whatsoever. And he's saying that they both share a master in heaven. So I think in this passage we see Paul completely undermine that institution of, of, of this class situation, of, of this, you know, setting these people against each other. And he actually shows, hey, you guys are on equal ground at the foot of the cross, so you need to treat each other in a way that reflects that. You're not allowed to, uh, uh, you know, be unjust and unfair in the way you treat them. The application for us today is that we need to realize that our master Jesus cares about how we treat those under our authority. Specifically, here I want to apply this to in our workplaces. You may have people that are under you, that you have to tell what to do, that you have an authority over. I think this shows us that we are called to treat people justly and fairly. We are not the ultimate authority in our workplace. We are not the ultimate person. but We have a master in heaven who dictates the way we should treat people with justice and fairness. So the question is, do you treat people justly and fairly? Do you steward your authority over people 
mindful of the fact that you have an authority in heaven. Being in Christ should change the way that you are a boss. Be a boss in the name of the Lord Jesus and treat people with fairness and justice. In conclusion, did you know that German chocolate cake was invented in Texas? Really? 1852, a man named Sam German invented the formula. And that's where the name German chocolate cake came from. Those are two things you probably had no idea had anything to do with each other. Texas and German chocolate cake. In the same way, two more things that you may have had no idea had anything to do with each other is your faith and your work. I pray this message can show you that there is a unity here, that your faith has everything to do with your work. You might think, or you might have thought that your work is super unspiritual, that Jesus doesn't care about what you do, and that what you do on Sundays is completely separate from what you do Monday to Friday. But I hope you see this passage we've studied this morning is just another way to obey verse 17 in chapter 3. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. As it says in verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So the question is, as we close, where do you need to repent this morning? Let's surrender our jobs, our positions, and our careers to the Lord. And whatever we do, let's work for Him and for His glory. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. God, I thank You for this passage. I thank You for the truth of Your Word. God, I thank You... Um, God, thank you for caring about every aspect of our lives. God, you didn't have to care about us at all. God, you, you could have just left us. You could have sent us to hell. You could have abandoned us. You did not have to love us and save us and invest in us. You did not have to claim us as your own, but you have. And God, I pray that this church will realize that if you claim us as your own, then that comes with radical differences in every part of our lives. I pray that we can earn a reputation for being hard workers. God, I pray that we will see everything we do as loaded with significance and meaning and purpose because ultimately we work for you. God, I pray every single career, every single workplace, every single student in here will be completely committed to their task to serve you. Because whatever we're doing, God, I pray that you can impress us with the idea that we are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. God, if there's anybody in here like me, there's a lot of room for repentance. There's groggy days. There's lazy and there's lazy selfishness. There's, um, you know, only caring about ourselves. There's putting things off. There is so many things, Lord. God, I pray that you can draw us to repentance, and that ultimately you can instill us with a fear of you that truly changes us. That we can live in holy reverence of your presence in every moment. God, I thank you um, for a passage about obedience and submission. God, I thank you for the freedom loaded in this passage because, God, you have set us free. This is what freedom looks like. And so, God, I pray that you can just utterly transform the way we live our lives. God, we want to do everything for you.
So produce fruit that only you can produce, Lord. In your name, Jesus. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you guys. Happy Father's Day. Have a great Sunday morning.